Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Hey, PCC family and guests, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you, We haven't been around each other in a while, so you haven't been able to see all the babies that are being born. In fact, there's quite a few families that have had their first baby that are part of our PCC community. And one of the things I love is watching parents with that newborn because there's an emotion that's shared. It's joy. Those parents look at that, that newborn and they hold them and there's just this surreal moment where everything else pauses, the world around them kind of stops, even with all the chaos that may or may not be happening and they just have this emotion called joy. Joy can also be seen when your son buys his first real surfboard and it works, like it actually works the way it's supposed to. His wave count goes up and he's just enjoying life. So on August 1st, myself and my son went up to Pacifica and I'm watching him surf and his, his wave count has gone way up. There's a thrill on his face and he's just expressing joy. You see it in his actual body posture. And I'm sitting on the phone with a dear friend who three years ago launched a business that he'd been dreaming about. And honestly, it has nothing but success. It's kind of like that J curve that just went spiking on him until now. And I sat with him listening to his story of how he's maybe having to close his business with everything going on. He doesn't know what his family of six are going to do. And yeah, I'm watching my son with joy and a thrill on his face. And it was a very contrasting moment. And in fact, those moments are all around us right now. And we don't always know how to handle where we can be in an emotion of joy or an emotion of loss all at the same time. And really, the early church had the same expression, the same emotions, the same circumstances. And today, what today is about in our series is going, hey, how do we align ourselves with Jesus' kingdom, even though the kingdoms around us may not be what we think they should be? How do we live counterculturally? Uh, when we talk about identity, and that's going to be a big thing for us. In fact, the uh, definition is going to come up here on the screen. But the identity is this, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Now, before we get into the text, I want to give us a few reminders about what we would refer to as the New Testament. See, the writings within the New Testament, they fit into the larger story of the Bible. They reflect the gospel narrative that Jesus is God himself, and what he came to do was to fulfill what God started in the Old Testament, we'd refer to as like God has set apart a people for salvation and for a kingdom that would live counterculturally. The second thing we need to remember is the, the setting that these New Testament writings were in. They're all written during the, one of the peak moments of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was built by enslaving and imposing significant taxes on these cultures that they would take over. They just created a new hierarchy. Women, slaves, children, and poor were always treated as inferior. But Jesus' communities, they did the opposite. So they lived counterculturally. And the third thing is this. There's always situational context for each writing. There's problems that exist in and around that community that the people would write to these early followers or these cities in, and we gotta take that into account. But all the writings challenge this first century culture to remind them of who Jesus is and the gospel narrative. And it's really important that we remind ourselves of that because we're gonna get into two texts today that, that highlight even these three situations. But here's our gospel moment today, or our cultural moment, I should say. What does Jesus call us to is reflected in the ongoing gospel for the 21st century. When we approach the Bible, we got to approach it at who is Jesus and what is the gospel really about? 
We need to look at the culture around and realize that it's going to be in conflict with the kingdom of Jesus. We've got to look at the situation. We've got to look at the context. But we also got to look at how do we live this out. And see, that was the tension the early church had, and it's our tension today, of what do we do when the convictions of Jesus are contrasted by the tensions of the culture around us? Uh, if you have your Bible or the Bible app, the version, uh, you can go to Acts 10. Now, Acts 10 is a, is a chapter that, honestly, we could just preach on this, but I'm going to do a little summarization, but point out a couple key things. Now, I'm actually going to first read to you Acts 10, 28 and 29. Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. Now, without giving you anything, and we're going to go there in a second, um, here's a quick visual. In fact, it's this picture right here. As an avid Bronco fan, it's as if I would be okay with an Oakland Raiders fan. But there's more than that than just about sports about this. See, this is Peter. Peter, who is one of Jesus' followers. So I want to back up a little bit and give you what's really going on. It starts in verse 9, where Peter um, was up on the house around the sixth hour. So it's the evening, it's dinner time, and he's praying. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, the meal, he fell into, the Bible actually says, a trance. And, when, and he saw heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners on the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds of the air, and there came a voice from Jesus saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice again said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the, th and the sheet was taken up at once into heaven. Now, here's what you need to know. In Jewish law, there was, if we get this from Leviticus, that there was, there was food laws established for Israel to be a set-aside people, a chosen nation, because God redeemed them out of slavery from Egypt. So God was setting new standards for them, and one of the new ways was saying, hey, there's going to be some food customs. So as a Jew, there were certain things that were labeled as unclean. Now, Peter has this vision. Peter hears a voice from Jesus, the same voice that called him beloved while he was here on earth. And Peter goes, well, I, I can't do this. This is perplexing. In fact, Acts 10, 17 says, now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. That's new information. We'll get back to it. But Peter was inwardly perplexed. The phrase literally means to be utterly at a loss. There's a tension. There's a contradiction. See, Peter's whole new paradigm was beginning to change. Jesus began to show Peter that the certain rules you used to live by actually need to be looked at through the kingdom of Jesus lens. Now, this vision in no way demolishes the Old Testament law around moral, civil, or ethical codes. That would actually be a misunderstanding of this text. What it does show is that God will use unique circumstances to raise people's awareness that his kingdom and the way his kingdom works is different. What it does reveal is that Peter had his attention grabbed and his attention was grabbed for a point that Jesus wanted to do in Peter's life for what was next. Now, 
the men came from Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion, a Roman commander. Acts 10 earlier says that he was well-respected by the Jews and a God-fearing man. But he represents the very institution, the Roman Empire, that is nothing but enslaved the Jews, imposed taxes, added a new hierarchy, made life really insufferable for them. And yet, men were sent by Cornelius because Cornelius had a vision, showed up at Peter's house, and Peter is being nudged by Jesus in a really unique way, going, hey, Peter, you're going to have to do something you're not ready for. So let's go back to Acts 10, 28, because Peter actually goes with the men sent by Cornelius to come back to Cornelius' house, and he says, Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Peter went into Cornelius' home. Could it actually be that Jesus was bringing two people from completely two different worldviews, backgrounds, political alliances, social customs, and allow them to find common ground to pursue God's kingdom? And the answer is yes. It started with Peter being convicted by Jesus, and it started with Peter being able to change what he knew was about God's kingdom. Our identity should be the same. Remember, we talked about identity earlier, like our identity is who we are. As followers of Jesus, our identity should not come from any nationalism, patriotism, citizenship. It should come first from the gospel. That we are redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That we are beginning to be made complete for his kingdom. See, we should first ask, how am I called to live according to Jesus' kingdom? Okay, let's do that. And it actually may start with us being wrong and admitting it. So we can acknowledge that there's a tension in our obedience and participation in worldly kingdoms. Like in America, like we have a democracy, there's capitalism, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing or a wrong thing. It's a, it's a defining thing about who our country is. But we can't just align with certain things about this worldly kingdom, just like other people from other countries can as well. We have to go back to what is Jesus' kingdom about? When the kingdom of Jesus and the gospels calls us to think and evaluate, rethink and reevaluate, surrender anything and everything, we got to be ready for that. Let me give an example from my own life. Uh, but first, I need you to go on a walk with me. But we're going to walk to Romania. Okay, we're going to take a plane, but once we get to Romania, we're going to walk in Romania. In fact, we're going to be in Brasov, Romania. Uh, it's a beautiful city, and the reason we were there is we have friends that are in ministry there. But I need to tell you a little bit more about it. And to tell you about it, I need you to take a deep breath with me. And you're smelling mountain air and pine trees. You feel very cool, crisp air in the early morning. And as we walk through Brashov, we're going to actually stop at a little bakery called Fornetti, and you're going to grab a cream cheese Danish with me, and it's going to melt in your mouth. And as we walk through Brashov, we're going to go to this street called the Strata Sephori. Now, you can see from the picture, this is a narrow street. In fact, it's one of the five most narrowest streets in all of Europe. And as we walk through this street, we're going to go to this sign. And if you can zoom in, you can see that on this sign, it's riddled with bullet holes. See, in 1989, there was a civil unrest, and it was actually when communism fell in Romania. Now, in 1989, I was nine years old. Yes, I just turned 40. But I don't remember the news headlines, but I have a friend who does. His name is George. Let me tell you a little bit about George. George's father actually came to know Jesus while he was being part of the government police 
And he had a dynamic conversion, which is a story in of itself. And he changed how he treated people because instead of actually arresting people for smuggling Bibles into a communistic country, he used his position as a government police officer to help smuggle Bibles in. See, the church that George's father was a part of was an underground church. They had to hide, they had to meet in secret. They met in barns, in basements, in random villages, and they kept it moving. But it was often that government police would come in, they would arrest men and women, and those men and women would not be seen for months. They'd come back 20, 30 pounds lighter, at times dismembered. And you know where they'd go back to? Those men and women that were arrested would go right back to the very church that they were arrested from. Why? Because of who Jesus was. This is how George grew up. George grew up hiding his faith from the government, but George also believed in the calling that Jesus had in him, and guess what he became? He became the pastor of the largest church in Brashov. They planted eight churches in the surrounding villages, and we have taken teams there to do ministry in a really beautiful environment. And so with my cream cheese Danish, after walking the Strata of Sephora and standing in front of the sign in 2015, I'm gonna tell you what Jesus nudged in my heart and my soul and my spirit. He said, Danny, what does your faith ever really cost you? I was convicted that my personal view on how I think faith should go in my pin dot location in the U.S. must be the best way. And Jesus and I in an espresso with a cream cheese Danish had a very profound moment. And this was what was nudged to me. If my view of the kingdom is the best view, then I'm always going to be wrong. If my view of the kingdom is the best view, then I'm always going to be wrong. Because my view isn't always Jesus' view. See, we've got to stop and mirror what Jesus calls his people to. There's a submission and surrender to that. The only way I'm going to know if what I'm doing is reflective of what Jesus is up to is spend time reading the text that is given to us and look at what the church of Jesus has been called to. A phrase we see a lot in the New Testament that is both personally and communally important, and we see it over and over, is this phrase called, in but not of. In the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not defined by the world's identity. I would caution us that the language we use can become defining statements about our identity if it shapes it. We've got to be shaped by who Jesus says we are. So as a follower of Jesus, I need to be sure that my convictions actually reflect Jesus as I vote, as I run a business, as an entrepreneur, as I seek to care for those often overlooked, as we think about gender roles, as we think about the prioritizing of our finances, as we think about how we stand for injustices, as we consider the role of emotional and physical intimacy, pre-marriage, during marriage, as we look at how we care for our kids and our spouses. See, in our last series, we actually gave you a resource, a reminder about how to discern God's will, and it always looks at the authority of the scriptures, the faith community around, our external circumstances, and the voice of the Holy Spirit. We've got to keep leaning into that as we go, what is the gospel story about? We have to set aside some of what we think is important to make sure it's what Jesus calls us to. Now, I want to go to another New Testament letter. It's actually 1 Peter 2. Now, we talked about Peter and Acts, and we need to have that background, that Peter had this defining moment where he confessed, all right, I'm going to do some God you're calling me to do, which is socially, politically, completely out of my world game. But I'm going to go through with it because you're nudging it. And I want to read for you 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, and hopefully you're there by now. So again, we're going to start in verse 9. Peter writes this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession. See, that's the same language that God gave to the children of Israel out of Egypt. That you may proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is reminding the early church that he wrote this to that what God has always been up to is no different. He's calling his people to remember that you're a part of something bigger, my kingdom. And he says this, beloved, I love that word, beloved, I urge, you, I urge you as sojourners or wanderers and exiles to abstain from any passion of the flesh which will wage war against your soul. See, a sojourner is someone who's not really at home. An exile doesn't have a home. It's actually calling this early church community to remember that your home is not here on earth. It's actually part of the kingdom of Jesus. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those that don't share the same, and fill in the blank, political alliances, social alliances, government alliance, faith alliance. That term there is really loose. It means anything other than what we as a follower of Jesus community look like. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when you speak against an evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He goes on, and if you jump with me to verse 15, sorry, 17, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I can't fathom the weight that Peter had from being called as a Jew to associate with Cornelius the centurion. I don't know how that worldview shifted for him. I don't know how that paradigm felt, but I can feel the weight in our world. So let me give you another phrase that I think is really beneficial for us. People, not things. People matter. One of the asks pastorally we would ask of our church is that we can, can we look at people not the thing that they're attached to, and be sure that they know they matter. Can we listen to what people are talking about and not jump to a predetermined conclusion? Can we look at living, breathing human beings that bear the image of the divine and treat them as humans, both publicly and privately? Can we not repeat Twitter headlines for, feeling, for the sake of feeling aware of things and actually take time to have a conversation? If you've been following along in the book that we've suggested, the third option, chapters 15 and 16 highlight many of these. But again, people, not things. Are we talking about a person or are we talking about a thing? In fact, parents, I'd encourage you with your kids that when they get angry about something their sibling has, a physical object, use this phrase. Are we talking about a person or are we talking about a thing? Because if we're talking about a person, then we need to speak about that person the way Jesus would speak about them. You may be asking, Danny, what's an example? When hearing people talk about political stances, the person speaking is not a thing. The stance or topic they're talking about is a thing. When hearing kids argue over a toy and they get frustrated, help them process that they spoke or treated their sibling or friend. They should not be done in anger or frustrated over a physical thing because people are not things. See, Peter had a person he would never have associated with due to all the sort of political, social, radical dynamics for his day, but he chose to do what Jesus was nudging him to do. See, the early church 
thought about the long game, not the short game for the next generation of believers. How do we as gospel people sacrifice the things for the sake of faith legacy? And I would ask PCC, what are we doing as a church today to set up the next generation to have success in their faith? What are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of the next generation knowing that they have a place to follow Jesus and we want to walk right alongside of them even if maybe what we'd say worldly kingdoms differ because we're going to keep falling back to what Jesus' kingdom calls us to. Church, our personal and communal identity, and again, here's the definition, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. That's got to be centered on Jesus. And acting out of that identity, knowing the worldly powers will always be in contradiction to the kingdom of Jesus, this is always going to be a tension. There's always going to be a contradiction. But finding joy in who Jesus is and the life he calls us to versus this despair sometimes we feel in this world is important for us to process what are we really living for? We'd say the kingdom of Jesus. Let me pray with you and for you. Jesus Here's what I can know from the text we read is that Peter was willing to radically shift how he thought and lived. And we see it all through the New Testament as Peter is seen over and over again, taking a stance, calling people to realize that the world that they live in is not their home. It's not their identity. But in the transforming work of Jesus, that's my identity. God, we need to be wise as we think through all the dynamics of life. It is not just as simple and cut as dry because we need to know where you're leading and guiding. And as you lead and guide, Lord, may we follow. Maybe we're a church that looks at the next generation of believers and say, we're for you. May we look at our neighbors and say, we're for you. May we look at the people that we work with or pass by on the street or in the supermarket and say, we're for you. So Jesus, will you do a transforming work? If there's something we're guilty of that we need to confess and even change our way, God, give us conviction over that. May we repent and may we live the way you've called us to as people that care about your kingdom. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.